Welcome to New Hope Chapel's Sunday service again. I'm Pastor Dan. The title of my sermon this morning is simply, Look Up. And I've chosen as my text, 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Please turn there in your homes or wherever you're following this message. 1 Thessalonians 4, chapter 4, verses 13 to 18. Pray with me in the spirit of Psalm 1914. So, dear Lord, this morning let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen? This is a message concerning the return of Jesus. Now, according to Paul, we ought to preach on his coming for at least two reasons. First of all, we need to be informed. Paul said to the Thessalonians in verse 13 that he did not want them to be ignorant concerning the events of his return. Now, the Greek word for ignorant is the word from which we get the word agnostic. And as you know, an agnostic is someone that doesn't know whether God exists or not. Well, spiritually, we do not need to be agnostic concerning the second coming of Christ. If there is any subject which the Christian should not and must not be ignorant, it's about the second coming of Jesus. We do not need to be agnostic concerning that subject. One of the distinguishing truths of the Christian faith and one of the distinguishing trusts of the Christian life is the belief that Jesus is coming again. You know, history says, look back. Science says, look around. Philosophy says, look within. But Christianity simply says, look up. The difference between a lost man and a saved man is simply this. The lost man has no hope, while the saved man has a blessed hope, and that is the return of Jesus. You know, some of the greatest heresies in the church have come from people who either misunderstood or out and out rejected the doctrine of the second coming of Jesus. So we need to be informed about this great truth. And the second reason is we also need to be encouraged. So Paul says in verse 18 that we are to comfort each other with these words. You see, once we know the truth, we need to share the truth so that others might be encouraged by that truth. I know of no other doctrine in the Bible that ought to encourage us more than the second coming of Jesus Christ. It ought to cause us to be optimistic in a world that is going to hell. It ought to cause us to be evangelistic in a world that is lost to Jesus. It ought to cause us to to work while it is day, for the night is coming when no man can work. Dwight L. Moody said, I have felt like working three times as hard since I came to understand that my Savior, my Lord, is coming again. Now, Paul gives us in sequence the events that will surround the second coming of Jesus. And but although these events are sequential, they are also simultaneous. 
The Bible says that these events are going to happen in a moment, literally in the twinkling of an eye. So first, let's consider the return of a reigning Savior. The end of time and the end of the world as we know it will commence with the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. There are two very wonderful things that we need to learn about this return. First, the first truth is the assurance of his return. See, we are told the Lord will return. If you want to gamble on anything, gamble on the second coming because it is absolutely certain. You know the old saying, nothing is certain except death and taxes. Listen, that is wrong. I can move to Monte Carlo and never have to pay taxes. And if Jesus comes first, I will never die. We are told that Enoch was raptured, so he didn't, he didn't see death. Listen, the only thing that you can surely count on is that Jesus is coming again. Now, Paul was certain. How could Paul be so certain that the Lord would come again? Well, first of all, we have the work of the Savior. Paul said in verse 14 that if Jesus died and was raised from the dead, he will come again. You see, he based the return of Jesus on the resurrection of Jesus. If you believe in the resurrection, you have to believe in the return. And if you believe in the return, you have to believe in the resurrection. As a matter of fact, I have noticed those who deny one usually deny the other. If a man denies the literal return of Jesus, he will usually doubt the literal return, resurrection of Jesus. So Paul's argument is simply this. If Jesus was raised from the grave, and he was, and he will return from glory, and he will. We also have the word of Scripture. Paul did not say this on his own accord. He said it by the word of the Lord. One-third of the Bible is about the second coming of our Savior. 318 verses in the New Testament, or one out of every 30 verses, tells us that Jesus is coming again. Over and over, our Lord said, I will come again. Although if he had said it only once, it would have been enough. If the only verse in the Bible that referred to the second coming was John 14, 3, where Jesus said, I will come again and receive you to myself, I would believe it because my Lord said it. I read a story some time ago about a father and his daughter who loved the water. They loved to swim. One day they were out in the ocean swimming and before they realized it, the undertow had taken them far from the shore. The waves were becoming higher. The winds were becoming stronger. And suddenly the father realized that they were in great danger. He knew that he could not possibly help his daughter to get back to shore. So he said to his daughter, You're a good swimmer. You can float on your back all day long. Turn over on your back. And float. And I'm going to get help and I will be back. 
And the father swam to shore with great difficulty, but he finally made it. He finally got help and went back in a boat. And they looked for this little girl for hours. Finally, someone said, look, there is a body floating in the water. And when they got to that little girl, there she was floating on her back, looking up at the blue sky, relaxed as she could be. The first man that reached her asked, Honey, why aren't you afraid? How can you be so calm out here by yourself? She said, Why should I be afraid? After all, my father told me he would be back. And I believed my father. Well, listen, Jesus said he was coming back. And I believe my Lord. And the second truth that we need to learn is the announcement of his return. Paul says there will be three sounds. These sounds will accompany the coming of our Lord. First, there will be a command to get up. Verse 16. The word shout literally means a shout of command. It is the word that was used by generals to give commands to their soldiers. This will be the command of our king to all of his saints to get up and get out of the graves. Three times in the New Testament we are told that Jesus raised his voice in a shout. At each time, the result was resurrection. The first time was the tomb of Lazarus, when Jesus cried out, Lazarus, come forth. And instantly Lazarus, the dead man, came forth out of his tomb. Then in the 27th chapter of Matthew, we are told that Jesus on the cross cried out with a loud voice saying, it is finished. And when he did, Matthew 27, 52 to 53 states, the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the graves. After his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. And then we are told that he will come with a shout at the rapture and the whole church will rise. Do you remember the old Tarzan movies? When Tarzan would get up into a big tree and let out a rebel yell. And it seemed like every animal between Africa and New York City would come running out of the jungle to Tarzan. Listen, when Jesus lets out a yell, every saint from every age and from every corner of the world will rise up out of their graves to meet him. And there will also be a cry to give up. We are told in Jude 9 that Michael is the archangel who continuously battles with Satan. He is the one who will lead the forces of the heavenly host to battle against the forces of hell at the end of time. And I believe Paul is here alluding to the fact that Michael is going to say to the devil and his demons, the party's over, the gig is up, the bridegroom has come for his own, the battle is won. The devil and his demons may try to keep the Savior from the saints or the saints from the Savior, but it will be to no avail. Satan is the defeated foe and Michael will let him know it. Then there will be a call to go up. Elsewhere, in 1 Corinthians 15, for example, Paul refers to this trumpet as the last trumpet. 
Now, a military man would understand what that meant. When a Roman camp was about to break up, whether in the middle of the night or in the day, a trumpet was sounded. The first blast meant, strike your tents and prepare to depart. The second blast meant, fall into line. But when the last trumpet sounded, it meant, march away. This trumpet will be the last call of Jesus for his saints. And when the trumpet sounds, we will go marching up, up, up and away. And then consider the resurrection of the redeemed souls. The next event after the return of Jesus will be the return of those saints who have died before. And Jesus will shout, come forth, and the graves of God's people everywhere will fly open, and the dead in Christ will be raised with their new resurrection bodies, up from the sea, up from the sod, all will arise. The dead in Christ, we are told, will rise first. The living saints will not proceed, that is, will not go before them. Now, why do they go first? Because we have a six-foot head start. They are, as you see, buried six foot under, and we're standing six foot over. God has no favorites, and he wants us all to leave at the same time. Now notice, this resurrection will be of the body. The soul has already gone with Jesus, because we are told in verse 14 that Jesus will be bringing those who have fallen asleep back with him. Now there's no such thing in the Bible as soul sleep. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It is the body that sleeps. In the Bible, sleep is a metaphor that describes a dead body. If you have ever seen a corpse, you know that the corpse looks like it's asleep. Its eyes are closed. It's, it's lying very still. Of course, it's not breathing, but it looks like it's asleep. As a matter of fact, the word sleep is the, word, is the Greek word from which we get the word cemetery. The word cemetery literally means a sleeping place. It is a place where dead bodies sleep. You see, when a dead man who is saved, when he dies, the body goes to sleep, but the spirit goes immediately to heaven. Scripture says in Ecclesiastics 12.7, Then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. One day, Jesus is going to bring back the departed spirits of our loved ones who have died and have gone before us and reunite them with the resurrected body. That will be the resurrection of the redeemed souls. And then, consider the rapture of the remaining living saints. After the dead in Christ are raised, the living in Christ will be raptured. And the word caught up literally means to snatch quickly or to be caught up quickly. That is what the word rapture means. It comes from a Latin word that means to be caught up. 
And when that happens, we are going to be transformed. We are going to be changed from corruption to incorruption, from mortality to immortality, from death unto life. I heard some time ago about a man, a farmer, who had never been to a big city. He had lived on the farm all of his life, and he had never seen a building over two stories tall. He went to town for the first time, and he saw an elevator for the first time. It fascinated him. He didn't even know what it was. He was standing there watching with his son, and he noticed that an old lady got on the elevator, and the door shut behind her. The dials moved up, and then the dials came down. The door opened again, and a beautiful young lady stepped off. He couldn't believe his eyes. He said to his son, son, stay right here. I'm going to get your mother and run her through that thing. I feel compelled to pause. I do see some giggles here because they're my fans and they love me. But I don't know whether I bombed or whether there is, in fact, some laughter out there in cyberspace while you're watching me because you all know I am addressing empty chairs. I'm going to assume that the laughter is so hilarious that I have to pause to let you get through it. But listen, when God's elevator takes over in the rapture and Jesus calls, come up hither, we're going to be caught up. We are going to be transformed. We are going to receive the redemption of our bodies and there will be a change take place, the likes of which this world has never seen. Just thinking about the rapture. What an event to look forward to. What a happening to anticipate when in the twinkling of an eye we will receive our immortal, glorified bodies. And then consider the reunion of rejoicing saints. Remember this formula. Return plus resurrection plus rapture equals reunion. There is going to be a family reunion, the likes of which this world has never seen. It will be the largest family reunion in history. Literally millions and millions of redeemed kinsmen from every tribe, from every race, from every nation will be there. It will be the longest family reunion for it will last for all eternity. It will be the loveliest family reunion <coughs> for it will be held in the crystal palace beyond pearly gates lined with streets of gold. It will be the loudest family reunion for the shouts of the saints will be heard from one end of heaven to the other. Oh, when we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. We'll sing and we'll shout and we'll dance. We'll have a grand hope coming celebration for the first 10,000 years. There's going to be a reunion of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit and the family of God. We're going to see that mother and that father. We're going to see that unborn baby, boy, or girl we're going to see that husband and that wife that has gone before. And we're going to see Irene Marshall, who has gone recently, as well as all the precious saints that have been with us and are gone from us. You know, one of the beautiful things about being a Christian 
is you never have to say goodbye. I saw a bumper sticker once that said, Christians never say goodbye, and they just say, see you later. I tell some of my attempted friends that I'm trying to bring the message to them, I tell them, I have to, I'm going to say goodbye now, because I'll never see you again. And that's what I'm talking about, the reunion. So I can hardly wait for that grand, glorious reunion when we'll all sit together with Jesus. Now in conclusion, listen. All of this sounds wonderful, but you need to understand something. The resurrection and the rapture are by invitation only. If you are not saved, Jesus will not shout for you. The angel will not speak to you. You will never hear that trumpet. You can take a mixture of metals, gold, silver, copper, iron, lead, zinc, and you can scatter those metals on the ground and bury some of them beneath the soils. And then you take a powerful magnet and pass it over the metals. Now the gold and the silver and the copper and the lead and the zinc will not move. But whenever the magnet passes over the iron, it will draw that iron to itself. That iron will leap out of the dirt, leaving all the other metals behind and be united with the magnet. Now why does the magnet attract only the iron? Because the iron has the same nature as the magnet. One of these days, Jesus is going to come back. And only those people who know Jesus and love Jesus and have Jesus as their Lord and share his nature will go up, up, up and away and leave the rest of this world, religious or not, behind. I pray to God that you are one of those who know him or that today will be the day of your salvation. So when the trumpet blows and the angel shouts and the Lord commands, you too will go up, up, up and away. Amen.